This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. Good to be with you today. I hope you had a good week. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Um, coming up a little bit later on this hour, uh, we're going to talk a little bit with um, uh, a lawyer who's involved with uh, the, the this lawsuit in the city of Minneapolis uh, 10 North Minneapolis residents filed the lawsuits against the city alleging glaring discrimination in housing, rental housing code enforcement. And uh, joining us a little bit later on, Mike Norton from Dorsey and, Dorsey and Whitney, who's one of the lawyers helping represent this case. He'll be joining us to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Bakken. Bakken. Greg Bakken, uh, Ghost Box Radio. Of course, you listen to it weeknights here at 10 o'clock. They got a Halloween jamboree, and I think he's just going to love me using the term jamboree. Uh, they got a Halloween extravaganza coming on up here on Halloween night starting at 8 o'clock where they're going to – are they going to be in a haunted house? Yes, they're going to be doing a live investigation, a three-hour special extra-length show Halloween night. Is it the Taco John's at the old Skyway downtown where that <laughs> used to be? Because, I mean, there's ghosts in there for sure. Uh, no? They're over in Stillwater, right? Uh, you'll have to uh, check in with him. I don't want to give. I don't want to say things that I am not paid to say. No. <laughs> uh, I, I would love for him to invite me, but I would, you know, dust doesn't fly like this normally. Uh, I mean, I'd be doing – I mean – I would be the jerk that he would be punching by the end of the show. And that's, uh, they, you know, and that's, I know that. And I, I, I already know I deserve it. I already do. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Uh, um, were you lucky to get in here with the blizzard apparently? That Remember about a week and a half ago, people were like, it's another blizzard coming to Minneapolis. Uh, how was your commute in here today there, Patrick? It was spectacularly, awfully normal. Well, it was, it was yeah, pretty traditional. Nothing too heavy-duty for me out there. Now, I will say this. They did get one or two inches, three inches, I think, was the most, up in the northwestern part of the state with the first batch. It sucks to be the southern part of the state, and into Iowa, they're going to get um, hit on Saturday. And then it does sound like we might on on Halloween. Was it on the Halloween or on Monday? One of the two, we're going to get a little bit of flurries in, but nothing. It's it, the ground is too warm still. I did call it though, didn't I? Call it. Every leaf is falling out of every tree right now at the same time. Yep. Yep. I, you kind of saw that coming. I I went from I couldn't rake my yard. I mean, I would say the twenty fifth, October twenty fifth. There wasn't enough leaves in my yard to rake them. Now my yard is completely covered. So I'm I'm going to be probably doing a little bit of that this weekend, wearing a jacket. It's going to be cool. I posted uh, Sven Sundgaard's uh, 
uh, bring me the news weather forecast out there. Just anticipate it being cool pretty much till the end of next week, and then we kind of get back into normal temperatures out there. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So there's a lot of things that are going on. I, You know what? I, I, I wanted to take a day this week where I'm going to get away from Dean Phillips and his run and, and Mike, Speaker Johnson and all that. And then, you know, obviously um, I'm hoping we'll get some – you know, um, breaking news. It would be nice if we caught the guy in Maine. I know that uh, they are they're Apparently, they felt they, they have a, found an, a suicide note there. And once again, it sounds like he might have gone out in a boat on the on the on the coastline, and they're searching every bay and harbor that they can find. Oh, I don't want to you know speculate, but when when they said they were focusing on the boat launch, that was kind of my thought. The dude just you know crudely just took himself out in the middle of the water. That's just kind of my... Maybe did that. Maybe sank the boat there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, you would think they would find something with that. I mean, usually, you know, they'd find, you know, some debris in the water, but we'll have to see. Or on the shoreline uh, and something like that. But um, I'm going to talk about two other stories, main stories, one this hour, one next hour, that uh, kind of I, I can talk authoritatively about in regards to personal experience with them. Now, uh, first of all, I'm going I'm to spend a, you know, the first half hour here talking about two stories that have been in the, the news here. Liberty Mutual, one of the largest insurance companies in the U.S., owes about $7.7 million to tens of thousands of policyholders as a result of an investigation by the Minnesota Department of Commerce. Not exactly. When you think about $7.7 million, yeah, but if it's tens of thousands of policyholders— that's you're not going to get a lot of money out of there. Maybe I think maybe well, I guess it's time to go to Matt's math corner early today. Ugh, God, numbers. All right, seven seven zero 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 zero. That's seven point seven million divided by tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. So I'll go with twenty thousand. One two. Huh? And he goes well, three hundred and you know three hundred bucks a person. So I guess that's not bad. Um. Anyway, it's, uh, that's so you know, you're going to get a little bit of money out of it. If it's only twenty thousand, if it goes more than twenty thousand, it'll be less. If it's less than twenty thousand, it'll be more money. The department's findings revealed several violations of state insurance regulation laws. A total of eighty-six five oh six auto and homeowners policy owners in Minnesota will receive refunds. Oh, okay, so eighty-six thousand. All right, that's that's going to cut into the old cut. You know, one, two, three, uh, seven. Seven zero 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 divided by. Now let's just let's just sue seventy thousand just to try to soften the blow. It's one hundred and ten bucks each. It's not a lot of money, but some money. Um. Anyway, but you know they they'll have to pay that out. A consent order announced on Wednesday, Liberty Mutual and other subsidies of the insurance company are accused of the following: failed to offer a minimum anti theft protection device account discount for auto in, uh, insurance. Nice. Used an applicant's status as a residential tenant in offering and establishing multi-policy discounts, which was related to bundling auto and homeowners insurance, applied for an automated rate increase in violation of state law related to auto insurance. The company has already refunded or credited $2.27 million or 53,604 current and foreign policyholders averaging around $42.41 per account. Additionally, Liberty Mutual has started a refund and credit 7,700 current and former policyholders, an estimated $2.7 million 
averaging about $350 per person. On top of that, the consent order includes a civil penalty of $150,000. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that that's going to leave a mark, which isn't owned or uh, owed by Liberty Mutual as long as it fully complies with the terms of the consent order. That's not exactly a... I don't think that's necessarily a deterrent, but okay. When consumers pay premiums for insurance policies, they're protected by state law to ensure what they get for, said Commissioner Grace Arnold in a statement. That was one story. That was a story that was coming about yesterday. And then there's a story today. This is out of the Star Tribune. I believe that first one was Bring Me the News. This is out of the Star Tribune. Mark Christensen figured his hospital bill was a mistake. The document from Alina Health arrived in February stating the 61-year-old Woodbury resident owed the hospital a staggering sum of $155,493. It made no sense. Christensen said he had coverage through his employer from a reputable health insurer, and the need for the care was undeniable. Christensen was hospitalized for about a month of treatment of a rare and deadly blood cancer. But his insurer, Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, refused to pay because Alina hadn't obtained authorization for Christensen's transfer to a new hospital, which happened about halfway through his inpatient stay. Okay, this doesn't sound like it's his problem. It sounds like Alina made the mistake. The company said a policy stipulating that when inter-facility transfers aren't approved, all claims for care at the second hospital can be deemed not medically necessary, a.k.a. the jackass clause. That's right. We're going to be jackasses because we're only in it for the profit. Even though all of our advertisement says we care about you, we really don't care about you at all. I got a 14th jet ski to buy. Come on, Matt. <sighs> the decision left Christensen responsible for the bill. It was a matter of life or death. It was very clear to me I needed to be in the hospital. It was clear to me that I needed to be transferred, Christensen said. For them to say that wasn't medically necessary was ridiculous. Christensen's ensuing saga highlights the financial peril patients can face when trapped between hospitals and insurance companies, billing experts say. Through early October, Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield stuck with its decision. Christensen, meanwhile, appealed to an external review agency. Earlier this month, the agency sent a letter upholding the insurance denial, stating the decision was in the best interest of the patient. And then in mid-October, the health insurers called Christensen to say the claim would be paid. This call occurred about three days after the Star Tribune began questioning both the line and Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield about the dispute. Hey, guess what? We'll grease those wheels real easy. If I can say congratulations, Star Tribune. There are still times when the media being on the phone does scare people into doing the right thing. The insurer, a division of India, uh, well, allegedly, I don't know what happened there. Maybe they, maybe out of the goodness of their own hearts, right at the same exact time the media started questioning about the pill, maybe, just maybe, the goodness of their hearts. I can't say for sure. It's either or. The insurer, a division of Indiana-based Anthem Incorporated, told the Star Tribune in a statement that it appreciates the collaboration and partnership with Alina Health to review and address the matter. We're pleased to have a resolution for Mr. Christensen. Hey, great. Alina Health said it strongly believes Mark or any patient should not be caught in the middle of a medical process between providers and payers. Well, since you screwed up, I, you know, I guess, you know, sure. As of Thursday, some details about the resolution still were not made available. 
There is anecdotal evidence of healthcare providers when faced with denial from health insurance companies are increasingly asking patients to either pay the bill or fight the coverage themselves, said Bill Foley of Cancer Legal Care, an Oakdale-based nonprofit group that helped Christensen with his appeals. Complicating matters, a growing number of health insurers are creating coverage payment policies that, when strictly applied, don't leave room for common sense or nuance, Foley said. In Christensen's case, the insurer invoked a policy on interfacility transfers to justify payment denial for subsequent hospital care without addressing whether he required the additional 17 days of inpatient treatment. Both Empire and the external review organizations looked at the policy and said, well, if it's not medically necessary to transfer you, then the hospital stay is not covered. Foley said nobody addressed the common sense fact that there was temporarily staff shortage at the first hospital that required the transfer. So basically, he was transferred because there wasn't enough staff to take care of him. They want to leave that out of the decision. Anywho, you can get the point. It's a mess. But I don't think people understand exactly how screwed up the insurance industry really is. Now, I want to say that my personal home and auto insurance, I'll stand by them all day long because, uh, um, yeah, that they, they they did a very good job, Amica. I that's and and that's that that that's something that it came from me with when I was a kid. That was in Rhode Island. My dad said go with them. That were there, and they 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 stood by me. I'm very loyal to them. But this whole process that I've gone through in the last near 11 months has been one of the most, oh my God, this this entire system is a mess. And it's a mess because of one reason. At the end of the day, everyone doesn't really care about covering you. They all say they do. They all, whether it's auto insurance or home insurance or health insurance and all these things, they all say they do. They don't. And it is shocking how much of the insurance industry is not only incompetently run, but is actively trying to work against you, someone who might've been a loyal client for say 40 or 50 years. It really is somewhat disturbing on some of these levels. Um, so just a little bit of a backtrack here on me. And I'm going to leave a lot of the businesses names out of it because specifically I don't want to, I mean, Amica is great. I've, I've been happy with them, but that's, that's, that's kind of the, the one thing I'll say because at the end of the day, they, they're the ones that stood up and helped me out. Okay. Let's just put it this way. At the end of the day, Amica helped me. That's, that's the, the exception to the rule sort of thing. So I was hit by a drunk driver. Now, obviously, the first thing you say to yourself is, well, the other guy's going to be on the dime for it. The other guy had insurance. Now, this individual was drunk as a skunk. I mean, he was, it was undeniable. There's no question. I was waiting at a traffic light and I got hit clearly. There's no culpability. There's no responsibility that I was for. I was clearly the victim, as was the car that was in front of me, which got tapped lightly and had some minor damage, but uh, because I was literally stood on the brakes. And trust me, Toyota Toyota Sienna brakes are fantastic. I literally, because I got hit, my foot went straight down on the brake and I didn't go too far, even though that guy hit me hard. 
Yeah, Toyotas are good cars, man. Toyotas are really good cars. I'll just, I, I, I can't say that enough. Anyway. Clearly, the first thing you say to yourself is, well, the other guy's insurance is going to pay for this, you know, and not let him deal with his insurance company. His insurance company for, I think, two months denied he was actually their customer. And I don't necessarily feel sorry for the guy, but here was this guy saying, no, 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 I've got insurance. I've been paying for it through them. Here's this. Here's the forms. Here's the receipts. Finally. Finally, the insurance that he had paid for finally said, yeah, I guess he's covered by us. And because they really didn't, but he was only covered for a minimal policy. They, they and they realized there's no way on the planet they were going to be able to, um, you know, argue against that in a court of law. They quickly wrote that check, which was pretty minimal and barely covered half the, 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 the insurance things that we had to get covered and rental cars and stuff like that. What came next was bizarre to see because even still yet today, all this should be covered. But yet, because the way some insurance works it is, it's, it's hard. It, it, I, I have a hard time understanding how any of this, how any of these businesses can run themselves so shoddily and yet be able to still stay alive. I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Mike Norton uh, from the lawsuit against the city of Minneapolis in regards to the lack of consistency in enforcing rental housing codes uh, in in North Minneapolis. He's going to join us coming up here in about 15 minutes. So from here, I'm going to talk about things from two different perspectives. Now, first of all, from the health insurance side, because obviously I went through a lot of health insurance issues. One of the things that is very clear now, there's there's a goofy element to this, which is that your auto insurance generally covers up to a certain point of your emergency care. So if you are in an auto accident, auto insurance covers up to a certain point. Then it goes over to your health insurance. And for the record, I've got a very good health insurance plan through my wife's work. That is, is, you know, it's, you know, taking care of us so far. So it's good. What there apparently is not one database, not one thing that says, okay, so say there is $20,000 worth of medical expenses paid for through the auto insurance first, that once that money is burnt up, then it automatically goes to your health insurance because that's what it should do. You know, I, you know, it should, that's why I have health insurance is that if I have a problem, it's covered. And like I said, I, I haven't had too much problem, but I'm, I'm being honest with you. I am still, still getting bills today that say, oh, this, this, that no one's saying they're responsible. So they're sending it to us and saying, you got to pay this. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, have you guys submitted this to our health insurance? Yeah, but they haven't gotten back to us. Submit it again, and if they have a problem, I'll get my lawyer involved, and we'll take care of it from there. Oh, okay, sir, no problem, no problem. You've got to be careful, because if you do have health insurance or auto insurance, 
a lot of times, one of the things which is really kind of, well, frankly, evil, if you ask me, is it to a point seems to be their their path of least resistance is to come to you and just send you the bill for your 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 stay and MRIs and CAT scans and emergency room doctors and surgeries. They're pricey, but they don't care. And their mentality is, well, you pay us and then you can figure out how you'll get reimbursed from your health insurance. Don't listen to them. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't listen to them. They they want to try to get off the hook of having to chase down the re- person who's actually responsible for the bill. And it is remarkable to me that it takes sometimes, and I mean, to the point, I mean, um, you might have someone like the emergency room physicians or something like this that's contacting your health insurance saying, hey, here's the bill, and the health insurance either just doesn't respond or they basically deny it even though they don't really have a right. So to a point, there there's the people who are trying to collect the money, like, okay, who are we supposed to go through here? I get that, but this shouldn't be this complicated. You shouldn't have this. I mean, people are going through tough times. This guy here in the story is going through cancer. You know, I went through a drunk driver breaking my back. I mean, it's it's... You, you, you're going through tough times. The last thing you need is, you know, healthcare companies, insurance companies, all these people basically screaming at you on this. And I think you got to be very careful. I will highly recommend getting a lawyer if it's a serious accident or serious case, because if they, if they know their stuff about insurance, thank you, Lindsay, uh, if they know your stuff about insurance, then, you know, basically they, they can help you avoid the pitfalls there. The other side of this is the auto insurance because the if you are seriously injured, you're probably going to get a payout in some capacity from the person who hit you his car and then your own health insurance or your own auto insurance. I mean, that's part of the deal when it happens like this. There are good insurance companies. Uh, that will, okay, yes, here's the case. No problem. Here's a check. Sorry for this happening to you. The vast majority don't work that way. And frankly, there are a, there are a lot of, health, uh, of uh, insurance companies that actually have entire law, law offices on retainer whose whole goal is to prevent from having to pay out what you are owed. It is, that's their whole goal. And and the reason why is that's money. And I heard from some person about a case where they basically, I mean, they were owed everything. And I think they had um, somewhere in the area, like 55, $60,000 of the medical debt. Um, and and it was owed by the, the auto insurer. And the auto insurer came to them and basically said, we'll give you $500. You just sign this thing and we're done. And they're taking advantage of hoping that the people who they're talking to are either are desperate enough for that money that they'll quickly take it without taking the amount of money that they're owed just to be done with it and get the money, which is a problem because I can tell you right now, from my personal experience, 
the first thing I'm thinking about is, okay, I got a broken back and I got rods and screws in my back. I need to have at least my medical deductibles covered until I hit Medicaid, Medicare. And if they're writing you a, a, a check to where it's, it's a minimal amount of money, well, guess what? You're not going to be able to cover your medical expenses, not only the ones you have right now, but any ones you incur. I mean, this is how you get people going bankrupt because of medical debt. So no matter how often they wave a check in front of you, you know, you, you make sure you understand what the rules are. And if I can, once again, finding yourself a, a, a lawyer who knows insurance backwards and forwards is a godsend. But you need to understand that even though you've been paying these, these companies, a lot of these companies, for many years to cover you, you have to understand when it comes time to cover you, they will find reasons. I've talked about this before when the power company will tell you when the power goes out in your house for an extended period of time and say you lose $1,000 worth of food in your freezer, they'll say, well, file a home insurance and claim. Don't do that because you really only have like one or two filings against your home a homeowner's insurance in your entire existence of of being around. So you want to save that for like a tree limb coming through your roof or or a mudslide taking out your driveway or something like that. You do not want to take that and you know use it for something so small and petty as a thousand dollars worth of 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 fine meat <laughs> that you just lost. So you know you just got to be careful. So, I mean, I think from these two stories here, the Liberty Mutual story having to pay out, and then this other story about this poor guy, Christensen, and I'm glad they, they're getting some, some finality there. But the reality is, is you have to be an advocate. The insurance laws are complicated. So if you are going to do this, read up on them, understand what you're going to get. And my suggestion would be is find yourself someone who knows insurance law backwards and forwards, because that was, for me, in my specific case, that was a godsend. And yeah, Lindsay was fantastic. I really do appreciate her. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. When we come on back, we're going to talk about this lawsuit against the city of Minneapolis from uh, residents of North Minneapolis in regards to a unfair application of the rental housing codes in the north part of the city. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Joining us right now is Mike Norton. He's with Dorsey and Whitney, a lawyer with them. He is helping to represent the uh, the, the members, residents of the city of Minneapolis 
who have, well, for lack of a better way, been kind of discriminated against because of a lack of enforcement of the housing code uh, as a fair, uh, the, the rental code in a fair manner in North Minneapolis. He's kind enough today to join us to talk about the lawsuit against the city. Mike, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. Now, first of all, let, let's start at the beginning of this uh, here. So, uh, clearly, I, I'm getting the impression the conditions in North Minneapolis in regards to the, 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 the codes for rental units is they're, they're, the conditions are not that good. It doesn't sound like overall there's a lot of, of quality that's available. Is that a fair statement? That is totally right. I mean, if, if you read through our complaint and just get an idea of what our plaintiffs have had to deal with um, over the last, you know, some have been in North Minneapolis as little as five years, some up to 40 years. I mean, it just runs the gamut of unlivable homes. I mean, we've got cracked foundations and non-watertight windows and leaking tubs and showers and which, you know, all of that leads to water damage, which begets mold. And we've had sagging roofs and ventilation failures, electrical issues. And, and these are families. And so at the end of the day, I mean, this is really coming down to a human rights issue. Uh, the the fact that, that that ten family members got together here I, w- was it a situation where they're all in the same building or they're people that knew each other? How did how did this group of of residents come together? So there's been great organizing uh, around this effort over the years, um, most certainly. And, and Dorothy and Whitney has had a longstanding relationship in the community on housing issues. Uh, we've had a longstanding relationship with the housing court. I, I myself am often involved with our monthly. Um, housing clinic, helping to protect folks from getting evicted. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is really just uh, grassroots um, North Minneapolis residents, both homeowners and tenants, uh, trying to organize around this issue. And, and they've just been integral. And, you know, Dorothy and Whitney, we have just played uh, a really specific role here on something that they have really been doing all on their own for years. And we're just trying to elevate this issue to help get change. You guys, um, it, it, the, some of the statistics that uh, it were brought to the attention in this lawsuit are pretty stark here. Nine times more rental housing complaints, but experiencing significantly less enforcement than its predominantly white counterparts. Uh, residents, many of them families with young children, are forced to endure conditions ranging from water damage to faulty electrical wiring to safety hazards that have trapped kids due to faulty injuries, as well as also they're, it's, they're, they're basically wanting the this, this city to change. Is this a case? I mean, I'm going to – and this is going to be easy for me. I'm going to play stupid for a second, okay? But just, just to ask the question, Mike, um, is it just the city doesn't have enough inspectors or are the inspectors, you know, they're far more likely to be, you know, and, and the enforcement is far more likely to happen in the more, well, the, the more white areas of the town? So this, this case, it's not about money at all. We have not asked for money at all. Um, the plaintiffs receive nothing directly. Our ask is so simple, and that is for the city to, to put the inspectors where the problems you know, lie. And, and you're totally right. So North Minneapolis is 16% of the population, but it's half of the complaints. And there are about 30 district-specific inspectors around the city. And North Minneapolis gets less than a quarter of them, but makes up half of the complaints. Now, if you go to South Minneapolis towards 11, 12, and 13, 
down there at the bottom, uh, they are only 5% of the complaints, but they have nearly 30% uh, of the inspectors. So we're really just asking, we need to shift the, the city's resources to match demand. Instead of uh, organizing this based on population around the city, we need to put half of the inspectors in North Minneapolis. They're just, and even at the individual staff level, you know, it's, it's hard for an inspector to comprehend if we have the same human inspector be able to be as efficient in North Minneapolis as they are in South Minneapolis, just given the demand that they're being placed upon. The conditions described here, you know, this is the other thing that I think is is alarming in in this story is it's it's hard to kind of comprehend. There are people that are living in this city that are living in housing units, which, for lack of a better way to say it, sound like they should be condemned. I mean, for like, I mean, I, I mean, when you're when you're talking about wiring issues and leaking water, I mean, we're going into winter, and it doesn't sound like many of these houses. There seems to be some probably whether these houses are going to stay fit for people to be able to reside in them during the winter months. So totally right that some of these are are just unlivable houses. But we do think at the end of the day that. You know, landlords might up front say, oh, well, um, you know, there's just, it's untenable. But we think at the end of the day, this is an enforcement issue and we can make these houses livable. Um, but you're totally right that this is a human rights issue. These houses should be livable. And it's not too much to ask of the city uh, to make sure that the housing stock from every ward in the city is simply livable. Absolutely, because, you know, <laughs> and, and, and okay, this is not exactly a high bar to achieve. I mean, this this is the this is kind of one of those things that's kind of hard to kind of comprehend that this is the, this has gotten this bad. Yeah, no, totally. And and um, you know, if you if you look at uh, just how the the racial component is around the city, uh, we think we have a strong argument uh, both under the Minnesota Constitution and the Minnesota Human Rights Act uh, to to help ameliorate these issues. And really, um, you know, solve the, uh, the the components that are really making these houses unlivable. And just to, I'll, I'll run through some of the other issues in our complaint, since I know a lot of your listeners uh, certainly haven't probably read it. Maybe have just seen some coverage around the city. Uh, but one of our plaintiffs had a refrigerator run off a power cord for for months. Uh, another, um, you know, had doors lacking doorknobs. And and one of our plaintiffs is a mailman here in the city. And, wait, uh, wait know, can, can, I, can I stop you a quick second? Doors without doorknobs. <laughs> that, that, Who would have thought it was required? <laughs> yeah. What, what in the hell? Uh, okay, so you're basically an open-air residence, you know, I guess. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, so we, we have one plaintiff who, uh, you know, is a mail carrier and is able to really see um, the, the full broad spectrum just on the street, and he's, you described doors lacking doorknobs and, and uh, you know, houses without windows. And then plaintiff's wow. tenants have had issues of windows shattered that have never been resolved. And actually, one of our plaintiffs finally had to move out because that, that window was never fixed uh, before they finally gave up and decided they had to leave. Okay, can I ask this this element of this? Because I and I, I'm not sure if this has anything to do necessarily with the suit. Obviously, you're talking about the the discrepancies within the enforcement policies in the city. But who are these landlords that when someone has an open window on their place, they're like, okay, I don't really want to have to deal with this. I mean, it would seem to me 
that that should be something that you have 24 hours or else the city's going to put you in cuffs and we'll take over the building. I mean, that, that it, it doesn't seem to me that, that there's other human beings that are this this horrible that they would treat other human beings this way. There have certainly been many high-profile cases um, in the last few years of specific landlords. Um, Con is one that comes to mind that, that rose all the way um, to the Supreme Court. Um, and then he also uh, had a petition for the U.S. Supreme Court. So how that one went. It was uh, denied. Um, but then you've also had the Attorney General's office uh, address this issue, going after specific landlords. And, and what our suit is really about is we've observed this whack-a-mole of, you know, individual landlords that they're going after. And we need to take a step back and, and really do it much earlier. Instead of um, in the situation of, of Khan, where he was able to survive uh, a decade with violations, we really need to start it much sooner and much more aggressive so that landlords are kind of on notice that uh, the tone has shifted and that enforcement will be expected Whereas right now, it seems that they know in at least wards four and five, they can get away with a lot and their rental license will not be affected. Well, and that's and there's where this all piggybacks. I mean, as you just said, if there is no enforcement, the landlord has no incentive to basically treat other human beings as human beings. Totally right. Yeah. I mean, this really is just making these homes livable. And, and I think the city, we, we're not asking a lot of them, um, just want them to really focus the resources where the problems lie um, so that that way we can make these homes livable and, and make sure that the capital stock from, from every ward in the city is livable for every family. I know obviously you can't talk too much about the case so far. What, what's been, have you had any response from the city of Minneapolis on this? The only thing we've had so far is that they're uh, considering the complaint. As you can expect, litigation does take time. They'll have a few weeks to uh, provide their answer, um, and then we will go through the discovery process um, and start creating a timeline. Uh, you know, we are hopeful that because our ask is is quite simple, just to you know assign half of the inspectors where the problems lie. Um, in wards four and five that, that maybe this can come to a quick resolution. But of course, uh, it will just take time. Litigation, you know, yeah. uh, it takes time. Well, and it, it also, if I can, I mean, because obviously that's that, that, like that's a, a very minimal. I mean, <laughs> your ask is a very low bar for this city to have to accomplish. I would make an argument Maybe the city, you know, hey, we have always have enough of a tax increase when it comes to a new sports stadium. But, you know, maybe we, we increase taxes. Oh, I don't know a cent or two, get enough revenue, hire more than enough inspectors, and then basically make sure that the people of, of Minneapolis aren't being treated like they're substandard humans. I mean, I, I, I think your policy is, and obviously, like I said, an e a very ill low bar there, but I'm almost kind of wondering, okay, if there's a problem with the amount of inspectors, well, then I think if you went out there and explained to people, we need to make sure we have enough inspectors so people aren't living in third world conditions in the city of Minneapolis, well, I think most people would get on board with that as well. It's a sensible ask. Um, you know, it would always be great if, if government had unlimited resources. Um, and, of course, our lawsuit doesn't really uh, address the, the resource side of it. But we do think uh, with the fixed amount the city has now that uh, just shifting even those limited 30 inspectors uh, to make sure that, that North Minneapolis has the, the resources they need 
you know, they could address these issues. But, uh, you know, of course, uh, whatever the voters of Minneapolis are uh, in support of um, to address this issue, I, I do think you're correct that this is a real human rights issue. It's, and, 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 and frankly, a few cents for every resident, not, that's, uh, that's a pretty easy fix, too. Uh, I, I would think. I don't think it'd be. That's not exactly a Herculean jump as well. Uh, any timeline you guys have on this, or is this still once again? You're, you know, I understand the courts this situation. You have to sometimes wait for for um, you know, you know, people to respond in court times and stuff like this. But has there been any timeline established yet? No, we were actually just assigned our judge yesterday, so um, you know, it'll be a little bit of time to to get the process started. Um, but, you know, we are hopeful that we could come to a, a quick resolution here. Um, but, yeah, as you can imagine, the um, just the timeline for discovery can take months, and we are hoping to, to go through and kind of see all of the city's perspective here on how they uh, further assign inspectors. But, you know, as we've seen the stats, they're just really quite shocking that uh, a city, part of the city that is 16% of the population just has uh, so few inspectors and wards that only are five percent of the population or five percent of the complaints are nearly thirty percent of the inspectors. Well, it clearly is a, 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 a tilted system. I, I, one another point here, I wanted to ask you really quick. I mean, this is you have ten North Minneapolis residents that are in on this lawsuit. The reality, though, is that we're talking a lot more people, though. Correct? Is that a fair assessment? Completely right. Yeah. Um, as as you can imagine, um, finding plaintiffs that that fit this this narrow position of of having filed complaints against the city and, and be able to have the right standing you need in a lawsuit like this. Uh, living in what is some of the worst housing stock in the city, where uh, they might be on month to month leases, uh, they might worry about repercussions from a landlord if they're suing the city in this situation, it, it, you know, we certainly could not cover the full, um, you know, scope of plaintiffs that might fit for the case. And we were able to find, thankfully, some very brave plaintiffs to come forward. Um, we are very thankful uh, for the Jordan Area Community Council, which is uh, homeowners who have been organizing for years in, in their neighborhood, and also to IX. Uh, United Renters for Justice, who has been organizing on this issue with tenants for years. Um, they have both been integral in helping find people who, who have been very brave, frankly, you know, um, in this issue to come forward and to, to allow us to tell their story. Uh, obviously, I mean, it's multifold. You obviously want the public to know what's going on with this case as well as also if there's people that might actually apply as well to this case. Is there a, is there a place to go to, for people to get more information about this, uh, this, this lawsuit? Or is it just one of those things we need to keep in track of this in the news? So we, we haven't, this is not a class action. So I think probably most of your listeners kind of understand this type of lawsuit in that frame. Um, this is a limited amount of plaintiffs, okay. um, but but I'll, I'll caveat that certainly you know if um, somebody felt that they you know fit the right profile of having filed complaints to the city um, and, and you know feel like that they fit everything within the theme of our uh, lawsuit, then there are court opportunities um, to to be able to join. Um, 
but yeah, I think that the initial read would be someone would want to be able to find our complaint. Uh, the Star Tribune did a, a long uh, story on it earlier this week, would probably be one of the first places to start just to understand what our suit really is about. Um, and I'll make sure I get that uh, that story po- reposted for you guys so that people can stay informed on this. All my best on this because this is this is one of those basic human things. And as is, is, you know, that is, it, it, it's amazing to me sometimes how people sometimes treat other human beings. It, it, it is somewhat discouraging, but it's also incredibly discouraging that the people that are there to make sure that people aren't getting taken advantage of aren't doing their job either. That only compounds the problem. So all my best to you guys on this. I hope that they, you get a, a solid resolution and you just get some basic enforcement installed in the, in the areas you're representing. Thank you. Yeah, no, we, uh, we're hopeful that we can get movement with the city and, and get some changes. You know, these residents and tenants really are at the end of their rope, which is, is why we had to file this lawsuit. But we, we hope this brought attention and hopefully we'll be able to get policy change with the city. Uh, Mike Norton is with Dorsey and Whitney. He is helping part two represent the 10 North Minneapolis residents who filed the lawsuit against the city, alleging glaring discrimination in rental housing code enforcement. Uh, we'll also keep up to date as well. As we see a new story on this, I'll make sure you talk about this. Mike, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Mike Norton, once again, Dorsey and Whitney representing the uh, 10 North Minneapolis residents there in their 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 case against the city. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Mike Norton, thank you very much. I appreciate the information because I got to tell you, the, all right, I am one of these guys. That is very particular about how I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I have my my religious faith. I have my my faith in 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 things and how things are going. But the reality is, is that it, it sometimes it, it what makes me you know gets under my blood is the basics, the necessities, you know. You know, feeding the hungry, taking care of the sick, sheltering the homeless, you know, welcoming strangers from strange lands. These are basic tenets that if you are someone who's Christian, and once again, you do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do, I'm a Christian, that these are the things you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be sitting there talking about guns. Jesus loves guns. That's not. No, that's no, 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 no. It's not even close. You are really, really wrong. So it is it's it is kind of hard to. Um, you know, to, to, to hear that there are human beings treating other human beings this badly. But I will say this, and, I, and I've talked about this before. My wife and I, a few years back, inherited a, a percentage of a rental property, and we got out of it. And, and the reason why is because even in these so-called good ones, I mean, there's, there's I'm just not the kind of person who feels very comfortable about, well, they haven't paid the rent. We should evict them. I was like, well, that's a human being you're throwing out in the street there. And I get it. You're building all this stuff, but it's, it's, you know, I, I just, I, maybe I just, I, I'm too much of a fool. And I, and I, and I think we should be, we, we should be looking out for our fellow man, but it's, it's stories like this that where you hear about, and once again, it's not, the city is not the one that's causing the doors to not have doorknobs or the windows to be broken. The city's not doing that. 
But the city has a job or responsibility to go in there and make sure these houses are livable, that human beings can live in these facilities. And it sure as heck doesn't sound like human beings can really live in some of these facilities at time. And that is a major failure of the city and the enforcement, especially when, as as Mike pointed out, oh, yeah, if there's a problem in one of the more predominantly white communities, oh, the inspectors are down there right away. Well, if you need to hire inspectors, seriously, go to the city, people of the city, say, hey, we need to raise taxes, 10 cents, everyone, but we're going to get enough inspectors to make sure people aren't living in third world conditions in the city of Minneapolis. I think most people would be okay with that. Uh, we'll take a break. Greg Bakken, when we do come back, it's the Matt McNeil Show, hour two up next. Hour number two of the show here on... Your Friday, Matt and Brett here, nine, and Patrick here. Brett's here as well. I just saw him roaming. Is yeah, I think he's he's just scouring the halls here. You know, just uh, you know, doing his usual. This is where he lives on the weekend, so that's what he's up to there. It's kind of a terrifying presence, which I think I don't want to steal the thunder for your next guest, but that kind of leads into how terrifying it is when Brett's around. Wow. You see, I wasn't going to be mean, but I guess, well, okay, fine. I'll be mean to you. Weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, it's good to have you with us. I hope you have a safe weekend. Of course, a lot of people are going to be, I mean, uh, out and doing a lot of things for Halloween starting this weekend. Halloween is on Tuesday. Greg Bakken, he's going to be here giving his all, hopefully not being uh, attacked by the evil spirits of the netherworld, but he is going to be live if he does do it. So, if it, it, yeah, Greg, if you are going to be you know, attacked here, make sure it is during the show, not during a commercial break, okay? Well, that's where the entertainment's at, isn't it, uh, Matt? I mean, you got to do it live on the air. And I do appreciate you saying I'm giving my all. I mean, it just... Every fiber of my being is going into, you know, being attacked by spirit on, on Tuesday night. Well, so, yes. don't be attacked. I mean, find the nice one, you know, just a reasonable conversation. <laughs> Greg Bakken, of course, is Ghost Box Radio weeknights here at 10 o'clock. On Halloween night, we are doing a special show. We started at, what, 8 o'clock that night? We sure do. Yeah, going 8 to 11. All right. And where are you going to be? I am going to be, and I'm actually driving there right now to, to finalize uh, the, the plan. I'm going to be in the building in Stillwater where Midwest Witchery and Healing is located. It's, a, it's an old garage. Uh, it, you know, like it, it, it serviced a lot of vehicles and stuff and has been repurposed into like a bar, into Midwest Witchery, into all these other locations. It's an absolutely beautiful location, but very haunted. It's very. How old is the building? I don't know exactly how old it is, but it goes back to probably uh, the probably very early 1900s, and at the very least 1920s when cars were being you know with more in the fold, and with you know Stillwater's rich history, it's uh, you know it's probably been around even before it repurposed into a garage at some point. Was is there known to have been tragedy or something bad happened here that that that, that people are aware of? I mean, it, why why is this? Is there any idea why this place has got the the, the heebie-jeebies? Well, it's it's more of just that it, Stillwater in general is, as you know, is it's very old. It has a lot of uh, history attached to it, especially uh, basically with the barons that were you know, kind of, you know, running the, the, the river at that point. So it's just a lot of historical uh, 
spirits that are still around. And don't forget, at, at one point, you had, the, you had the prison around that area as well that mm-hmm. burned down. That's right. So, is it on that site or is it near that site? It's it's near. You okay. know, it's all it's all very relative. Uh, you know, it's but it's it, it just you have caves. You have a lot of rock. All that stuff adds to uh, any sort of like energizing any spirits that are around. So it's a very lively place. Is there any specific spirits that I mean? Is there is there old Mary or something like that? Is there anything? That's specific, or is it? Is it just more of a a general feeling? I think just the ghost of my old career. <laughs> uh, you know, just, you know. I think that's really about it. I there isn't anything specific as far as I know. Though there's been like uh, there's a tiki bar in in the on the property. Wow. And uh, there is uh, some uh, the the owner there, and we're going to have a camera set up in the tiki bar on on Monday night. The whole place is or Tuesday night. Excuse me. The whole place is closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. So we have kind of free uh, run of the location. We're going to have a, a camera there, but they've had, uh, they've had sightings of full-bodied apparitions. They've had stuff move in their location. Uh, the glasses kind of, you know, tingle and, and, and hit each other and stuff. And so, yeah, there's all sorts of possibilities in that location. It's a fully stocked tiki bar. Do you, know, do you mind if I go and sit in there while uh, we well, wait? I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, I mean, that's, that's what I meant by spirits the whole time, obviously. <laughs> Where's Matt? I'm going to find here at the tiki bar. Where are you going? Right. Um, it's going to be an interesting Tuesday night, yes. How many people are on your crew here to, to do this investigation? So that's, that's uh, I'm thinking we're looking at uh, probably six to eight total. Okay. Uh, one of them being our very own Chad Larson. Uh, so that's, you know, got to roll up the red carpet for Chad on Tuesday. And uh, we're, we got, we're going to be in different parts of the building. And I'm just going to go from room to room and I'm going to have some guests on. And, it's gonna, and we're going to have people call in with their favorite Halloween memories and their favorite costume and stuff like that. It's going to be a great time. Oh. Well, I mean, it's a fun holiday. I mean, it really is, and I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's easy to see. I mean, now that the leaves are coming down, and you you know, it's it's at least for us in in Minnesota and Minneapolis, you know, it's it's cooler, it's darker. It's easy to see how this this the, there's a definite vibe that goes with this. I just it it is kind of one of those things where I. I has there been any physical, like, has any ghost punched anyone, you know, or anything like that? Is it, or any yanked hair or something like that? At, at the location in Stillwater? Yes. I don't think so. I think they just wanted to let you know that they're there. You know, shadow in that location. Uh, there's just been, you know, just a lot of, uh, you know, letting them know that they're there. There's been kind of. I don't want to say doppelgangers because it's not quite that way, but uh, like uh, uh, Witch Jody, who owns Midwest the Witchery and Healing, she just got a new space in there to add on. And then she had talked about that uh, somebody had uh, came by and realized that it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a, a person. It wasn't someone living. It was a spirit. She couldn't, like they disappeared. She couldn't find them anywhere. So really? it's, yeah, yeah. Wow! All right, so this this is cool. This is this this place sounds like it's got some cred as regards to uh, a, a, a spook. There has anyone ever done a um, 
a, an investigation at this facility, at this building before or no? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. We, I mean, I had been talking with uh, some folks about doing one there for a while. Uh, but then uh, once we all started talking about a radio broadcast on Halloween, we all were just like, let's do it. And I think I think we're the first okay. to actually really get as much of the area as possible. Yeah. Well, that's that's fantastic. Now, so once again, this runs from eight until eleven. Are you guys going to stay later, or is it just it's it's going to? You're, obviously, you got the live broadcast till eleven, but are you? I mean, is this an all night thing, or what? Uh, not to my knowledge. Uh, I got a. <laughs> I, I mean, it's going to take a lot to set up and yes. stuff. We might go a little bit longer, maybe if we're getting activity. But uh, you know, there's also. Uh, you know, it, I guess it really, at the end of the day, it depends whether or not we start really hitting the jackpot. And if we are, then yeah, you, you're, you're right. We will be hanging around. But if it's like, oh, you know, this is good, but we, I think a lot of people are going to be uh, kind of uh, tired by the end of the, uh, the end of the night. All right. So all right, you have this, uh, and this is going to be coming on. We'll come back and we'll talk about this again. Uh, apparently, as well, we, we, we have uh, another thing that we wanted to chat about, which was the, the um, well, we'll talk about Doctor Who here in a second. But uh, it, it's we have had the Sasquatch sighting yep. that was in Colorado. Uh, we, we were yep. going to have you on. You were sick that day. I was going to have you on to talk about this. Yep. Um, it does sound like there's a guy that runs a, an outfitting crew over there that sounds like this is kind of something he's tried to do before. So I don't know how, yeah. I mean, which is a problem because if you do think stuff like this exists, you know, having a guy out there, I mean, all it, I mean, it takes away everyone's legit, you know, maybe a legit sighting. And, and if it is the case, I mean, have you read up on that? I and mean, are you of the belief that that was, that was just some guy in a suit? I would look more realistic in a suit than this guy did. I mean, yeah. it, it was, it's, it, I think it's a very uh, laughable attempt to try to fool people, quite honestly. Uh, it, it, and it, you're absolutely right. It's like, what's the point of doing this and, and, and making people really hope that they have uh, some sort of, uh, uh, like they have a sighting of a, of a Sasquatch or something. It makes it horrible for everybody else. So no, I don't, I don't think for a second that that's real. Not at all. And once again, you and I have talked about there still is a lot of area that we have not gone to. I mean, they just I was brought up the point that day there was apparently a one of the, the of the category of dragon lizards, like the, the kimono dragons and stuff yeah. like that. They found yeah. they found a new species on top of a mountain like three months ago that they didn't know was out there. Now, so, you know, you can sit there and say to yourself, oh, we know everything. We really don't. There's a lot of places we no. really haven't investigated. So there is that chance that they could still be there. And especially with the, you know, kind of the long term, you know, stories that have come down with it. But, yeah, I, I think that it's guys like this end up doing a lot more damage than good. They sure do. And I mean, there is that human arrogance of people who are like, well, we know everything that's out there. We know that, uh, we know that, uh, you know, there's nothing in the stars. We're the only, we're the only species in the universe. It's like, uh, you know, it's just, no, no, it, it's just human arrogance always. Um, the, you and I, um, of course you have worked with the, the Doctor Who conference, uh, convention that comes into town. Yeah. Uh, and you, you've been part of that. I have been a Doctor Who fan. Uh, this is, and that, by the way, this is, you know, we're talking supernatural, we talk things, but, you know, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. And yeah. um, they, they, the, the Jodie Whittaker 
season ended, and I thought Jody did a fine job there. I, I definitely, not, you know, she she's better than a lot of the guys that did it, and I think she counted a lot of grief. I mean, there's always that first person who is not the you know white male to do it, and she got a yeah. lot of grief for it, and so I, I give her a lot of kudos. She basically her her term as the character, the doctor, is now done. David Tennant, in one of the bigger shocks, has come back right. as well. I mean, it's not come back. I mean, I think, I think he's technically going to be the fourteenth Doctor, but it's yep. it's David Tennant again as the Doctor. He's got three. I think it's three different specials that are coming up. When's the yep. first one? Is the first one air on the sixtieth anniversary, which is in, in November? So yes, it's, it's so the the actual anniversary for. For the nerds like Matt and I, yes. uh, the actual yes. anniversary date is November 23rd, but that's a Thursday. So it's going to air on BBC One in the UK on November 25th, and that episode's called The Star Beast. But the thing is, um, as you know, Matt, Doctor Who in America is now only going to be, new episodes is exclusively only going to be on Disney+. Plus. So if you don't have a Disney+, Plus. Uh, uh, membership, you're not going to be able to see these episodes, to my knowledge. I don't think that they're going to be available on Amazon afterwards and stuff. I think they're all locked up in the streaming service. Now, how about BBC America, which is on most, uh, a lot of cable services have that. There is, is it going to be on there at all or no? Nope, it's all been moved to Disney Plus. It's, wow. it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a one one streaming service deal now. Well, it's it's hey they 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 gobbled up Star Wars, they gobbled up Marvel, they gobbled up. I mean, that's that's a lot of Doctor Who they just got in there. Uh, they they know how they they know how to make money. That's for sure. Unfortunately, that yeah, does kind of create a problem there. Um, your thoughts? I mean, it, it's I mean they're going to have a they've already kind of announced the next Doctor after Tennant does yep. these three specials. The yep. y- y- your thoughts? I mean, do you think that they can make it happen on a streaming service? Oh yeah, you know I think I think this is going to be what Doctor Who fans have been wanting for a long time. I know there's going to be some fans out there who are going to be uh, against the idea of paying to watch Doctor Who, and that's that's going to have to be something they'll have to figure out themselves. But you know, I think the whole purpose with uh, Russell T. Davis coming back and and running the show again, he's going to expand this. It's going to be like the Star Wars and Marvel universe, where you have you're going to have like your hero show. But you're going to have these offshoots, you know. They're going to have all these different things, and you're going to have a Doctor Who universe, and and I think that's that's going to be really good for the brand. And also, even just by looking at the trailers, the stuff with David Tennant um, in it, uh, you can see that more money has been put towards the series. It looks really good, and I think that you know. Us fans, Matt, you and I, watching it on the PBS days, watching, which I've never had a problem with, the old sets and stuff. I mean, imagine having filmic quality Doctor Who the way that we have been having and even the upgrade now mm-hmm. is going to be incredible. Love well, it. And, and it's one of those things where, as a brand goes, it does not, there, there is there's an element to Doctor Who which they've tried to kill it. They tried to kill it after the seventh Doctor. They came back for one movie, and then that one movie, just everyone, there seemed to be this thing after that movie. It's like, okay, why did we allow this to end again? And they've, yeah. you know, they kind of been going gangbusters. I think it's, it's overall. I mean, they've, they've had some pretty spectacular seasons in the, in the newer runs. It is going to be interesting to see what they can do with this three, 
these three specials. But at the same time, when you talk David Tennant and you talk specials, he did his last season was a bunch of specials. And frankly, those are some of the best stories they told in the entire series. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, yeah. and, and, you know, the, and, and I think the funny thing is, for those who watch the show and know what we're talking about, I think that these specials, actually, the ones that are going to start airing in November, I think they tie back in a lot of ways to those uh, specials that ended David's run the first time. Mm-hmm. So I think that fans are going to have a lot of uh, uh, fun Doctor Who to look forward to, and everything I'm hearing and seeing about Shudi Gatwa, who is taking over after him, looks just as good. It's going to be, and they're, they've already started uh, shooting uh, Shudi's second series already, and his first hasn't even aired yet. No, that's that's a good sign. That's a good sign. So when we do the, when you do the next Doctor Who convention, can I get like one panel of I'm proud to be a nerd? Are you? You know, and I'll just do this, and it's like, <laughs> you know, and just like, yeah, it's really cool, man. I I mean, I got to tell you the truth. Being 55. And seeing that show when 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 um, Matt Smith was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, I said, "What the hell's going on here?" It's like, it's like, how did this happen? And the reality is, it's just it's 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 like it's like Disney. It does not surprise me Disney Plus picked them up because, like Marvel, like Star Wars, they they know a good brand there, and it and it just it's it's kind of one of those things where I was ahead of my time. I really was. And, and and the reality is, is it, it's, I'm glad to see that that series is going to go. I'll, I'll have to tell you sometime, Matt, about my story about having drinks with Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat and Karen Gillan at a bar in New York in Soho. What? When did this happen? It happened uh, right before his premiere in Doctor Who. <gasps> oh, man. New York as a guest of BBC America. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I rem- by the way, I remember that. I remember when they brought him to New York and they were launching the series. Oh, you were there then. I was there. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. I got a private, we got a- we had a private uh, drinks with him. Uh, just <laughs> myself, my friend and some BBC America folk and, uh, and those three, yeah. Oh, fantastic. All right, so that that we, we'll talk more about that later. Let's get back to what's coming up here on Halloween <laughs> night because you and I could do like an entire podcast on Doctor Who, which would be a, would be a freaking hoot because I love the series and I could talk classic Who and the modern Who easy. But uh, let's actually take the time uh, to go back. Once again, we have more pressing matters, spooks and specters, ghosts and ghouls. It is the live broadcast. What time does that start on Halloween night? That's going to start at 8 p.m. on mm. Halloween night, October 31st. All right. And that goes, you know, right now, it's, you're going to go to 11 o'clock here. Uh, so make sure you're with us on Halloween night, special broadcasting. If you have a few seconds on Tuesday to talk about the setup beforehand, please join me. Okay. Think about it. If you've got some, just five minutes, you know, you're going to be busy as all get go. But if you got five minutes on Tuesday, on Halloween night, join me and we'll make sure we, we plug it again. Okay. Let's do it, Matt. I'm in. By all means. You be careful, though, okay? You be careful there. (laughs) (laughs) I will. I will definitely be careful. We're just going to have a great night. Oh, good. Uh, Greg Bakken, it's Ghost Box Radio. You can listen to it tonight at 10 o'clock, weeknights at 10 o'clock, and, of course, the special Halloween broadcast starting at 8 p.m. on Halloween next Tuesday. Thanks, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Matt. Take care. Let's take a break. Come on back. I got another issue to get into. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.
AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. I am a very unapologetic Doctor Who fan. I've told the story. I'll tell it again. I was, as a kid, it was in Rhode Island. They tried to syndicate Doctor Who in markets like, because you come home from school in the afternoon and it was Brady Bunch and Hogan's Heroes and Gilligan's Island. And all of a sudden I turned it on, it was Doctor Who. And it was one of the few test markets that tried to syndicate it. It didn't go anywhere, but I watched in order, and this is really going to get nerdy on you, Doctor Who, the Santarin experiment all the way up until when Leela left. And then it just stopped. I'm like, what? You know, I mean, I was like six, but I mean, still sounded like a 55-year-old man. What? <laughs> I did, actually. Uh, this is ball. Uh, anyway, I, I fell in love with the show. Uh, that was the old Tom Baker years. He was the fourth doctor. And I've loved it ever since. I could easily, God, I would love to do a panel over at Doctor Who. Just we're awesome, aren't we? That's that's the panel. We're awesome, aren't we? All at 100. Uh, catch Bach and live on Halloween night. That's going to be some good stuff right here, uh, right here on AM 950. So I got to get into this because I told you that there's there's two things today that I want to talk about that I actually have a little bit of personal experience with. One was the insurance thing after all the stuff that I went through with the the broken back, but I want to get into this sports story here. Larry Olam, who left Orono Girls Hockey Programming, made controversy shortly after coaching the team to second place in the Class 1A state tournament last season, is the new coach of Mound West Tonka Southwest Christian Girls Co-op. Olam, whose team went 24-4-4 in his only season at Orono, resigned from his job after criticism of his coaching by parents. He didn't go far. The Orono and Mound West Tonka School Districts are next to each other in the West Metro, Mound and Orono's girls co-op, and play together in youth hockey. Given the history of the players, Olim joined that uh, jo- uh, joke that when he joined Mound West Tonka Southwest Christian, they play Orono on November 17th. It's uh, going to be a pretty good rivalry. He knows what he speaks of. Olim was Mr. Hockey when he played for Ward, and he went to star in the Gophers, where he broke with the team's, uh, the team's assist record. He was also the co- head coach of the girls' hockey at Wyzetta from 2000 to 2006, got involved with the activities of his children, two of whom attended Southwest Christian. Olim returned to coaching when he took the Orono job. Not long after leaving Orono, Olim accepted the assistant coaching position at Holy Angels in Richfield, and he ultimately never worked with the Stars program because of the Mounds West Tonka Southwest Christian job became available when former coach stepped down for what Olim were called for family reasons. To return to the head coach status erased a tumultuous offseason for Olim, a prominent name in Minnesota hockey. I would have to say I appreciate the support I received all summer. It was gratifying to know so many hockey people were thinking of me. I heard a lot of stay in the game. Don't let one situation ruin your passion for coaching hockey. Olim was offered a job on Tuesday of the week. He accepted on Wednesday. Um... So what we're talking about here is something which, if you are like myself and you have kids, you have seen before. That the there's a game that's being played amongst sports, and it will ruin the sports experience for you if you allow it to or you don't expect it. And I'm going to break it down for you very bluntly because right now what happens is this. There are a lot of parents who basically do not care if the kids, the team that their kid is on wins anything. They're only in sports 
to basically get their kid a scholarship. And they will ruin, destroy, sabotage a program to make sure that their kid is the only kid that gets seen and henceforth gets a chance at a scholarship. And the craziest part about this whole thing is that most of the parents that are gleefully destroying sports for kids could easily afford to send their kid to college. Easily. And yet they basically decide to throw a proverbial grenade into the, your local sports programs just because their little Susie or their little Billy is not getting the star time and star power they deem they are deserved. I will talk a lot about this because I have seen this first in front hand and it is comical the way that you see parents go, the extremes that they go to to basically make sure their little Billy or their little Susie are the only ones that get a chance at a scholarship within a program. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So you have this coach that basically deserves clearly to get a, a contract extension. He basically gets run out of the, this, it sounds like he got run out of the school. My guess, and this is just a pure guess, is that there was someone on that team. The parents are like, you're not playing my little Susie correct on this team. You're not doing it. Susie needs to have her best friend on left wing and the other best friend on right wing. And you're switching things up and you're ruining everything. You don't think, you, you, and, and all this guy has done is basically been successful. I mean, I, I have no idea what the exact thing is, but that's kind of what happens. You had the baseball coach, and I can't was it? I, I can't remember what school district it was. He wins the state championship. He wins the state championship, and then he basically retires, resigned because all the parents were angry with him because it was never about the championship. It was never about a winning program. You have. There was a story about six years ago, seven years ago, of a former NHL player whose kids never got into organized hockey and just played with their dad on their back rink. And then one day decided they wanted to go into it when they were a little older. And they went out there and they were clearly better than the other kids on the ice because they'd been playing with an NHL caliber dad. And they basically were, the parents were upset because how, how dare you allow this kid to come on in? even though this kid was that good. And it just was kind of one of those things where you, you have to understand what youth sports has become. Now, I'm about to say some things. I'm going to share some personal experiences. And I want you to understand that there are a lot of youth sports programs which are still pretty good. They are. They're the less competitive ones, but at the same time, you can have a, the kids will have a pretty good time with them. It just is a lot of times you're you're not going to have a winning program because you know you end up playing the more competitive teams where there is this you know you're getting blown out whether it's a soccer game of 10-0 or or whatever the case may be. There are a lot of good leagues where the kids will go have a much better time because it's a lot less of a pressure situation and frankly it is it's a lot less frustrating. There. I'm just going to talk a lot about my personal experiences here, but I think this is stuff that a lot of people can relate to. 
I remember when my youngest daughter played softball. She started playing softball. I'm going to guess she was like eight. And she played on the city team, and there was enough kids on the city team to where they could put together two teams. And they told all of us, oh, don't worry. We will just randomly pick, and then half the team will be on, you know, half the, you know, half the players will be here, half the players will be here. But it will be random. That is the term they use, random, randomly picked. Didn't really think that much of it until the two teams played each other one day. And it was comical. On one side was my daughter's team. On the other side was a was the group of girls who none of them were were the same size as my daughter. They were all like twice as big. They were even clearly the you know this was not a random thing. Someone had taken all the older kids, so the bigger kids, and put them on one team, and that was just that. And of course, the one team. You know, my daughter's team did pretty good. They they were a little scrappy little bunch, but it wasn't that it was clear that this was guided. And I talked to the coach about it and I said to her, I said, "Wait a minute, I thought this was random." She goes, "Well, this was random." I said, "This was random? Look at this." And she immediately snapped at me. "Well, I'm the coach. I'm volunteering my time. I'm doing it this way. If you don't like it, then you can coach." Okay, you misunderstood my point. My point wasn't that that if that's what you said, no one would have a question. You said it was random. This isn't random. And that's the thing is that you portray this idea of fairness and equity at the beginning of these programs when there is no intention of having fairness or equity within these competitive programs. And that, it, you know, it, it, that's just the way it is. The most consummate example I have of this is my son and baseball because it was interesting to see how a handful of either wealthy parents or the parents who could volunteer 60 hours a week for the baseball organization were able to drive who made these teams. I remember the first time we went to a tryout where, quote, everyone has to try out. And you'd go there, and there was a lot of kids. Then all of a sudden, you get the say to yourself, oh, okay, well, I guess they're not going to be playing. Well, then all of a sudden, you get the rosters, and all the kids that didn't show up were all in Sharpie on the roster. And you say to them, well, they didn't show up. And that's when you hear the coach say, well, there was a super secret tryout day. Where? I actually called. They said it was here on this day. I called. They, they, they had no idea what I was talking about. Having a discussion with my wife, I realized I'll just let it drop because – this was the whole plan from the get-go. And on these programs, a lot of the times what they have, you see, it's, it's not, it's very hard to get people to write checks for a kid to be involved with the team if they're honest. Your kid ain't going to see a lot of playing time. Your kid's going to be riding the bench most of the time. Hey, give us $600. You know, they're not going to do that. So they come on out there. It's like, hey, we want everyone to be part of the team. Everyone would be out here, all this good stuff. Your kid's going to get a lot of playing time. Your kid's going to do this. And the reality is your kids already, they've already determined which kids are going to be the ones that get highlighted. And here's where it gets to be a real big, duh, ugliness. I witnessed multiple good players who were better than the other players get pushed aside so that certain players didn't have to play in the shade 
of a better player. I saw that, hands down, because the people that were manipulating it didn't want a scout or someone to show up at a game and look and say, wow, that kid is uh, is pretty good. No, that's not the kid you're supposed to look at. You're supposed to look at my kid, my kid. And it's it's generally one kid, his three buddies, or like I said, they, they, they'll always make room for the guy that volunteers 80 hours a week for the organization. They're not going to they're not going to kiss that cash cow goodbye. And it got pretty obscene that they would do this. That this is what they do. And this is and whether it's these coaches who get attacked because you're not coaching them right. What do you mean? Well, yeah, sure, you're playing my my kid at shortstop, but my 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 kid's best friend is a third baseman. Well, he's not a very good third baseman. But that doesn't matter. For my kid to be happy, you have to play him at third, and you have to play his other buddy at second. Well, his other buddy's not a good second baseman. It doesn't matter. You want my kid to play. Those are the players, the positions you have to play it in, and it's this kind of coordinated effort. Trust me, the parents of the kid who's on third base and the parents of the kid on second base are basically latched onto the one kid who's a good kid so that they would all be on the same team, and they could kind of force their way in. And they could force their way onto the teams. I saw it. My son played Hopkins Legion. His first year, he was qualified. He was he was qualified to be there. He got on the team, and uh, you know immediately. And I want to make sure we're very clear here. And I can't remember the exact number. I, I actually have all the documentation of this still at home. That the league basically, because once again, and and, and by the way, Legion Ball. Holy God, do you have to write some checks for that? You, you're, you're, you're looking at a four-figure check just to be part of the team. And as well, then you have to make an appeal to your family members for them to make a donation to the program. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. But that's when they come out the, well, don't worry. I mean, every kid's going to be playing. Every kid plays about 20%. By the way, quick side note here. <laughs> anyway. No, they have no intention of playing every kid 20%. And we, you know, once again, same thing. Everyone has to try out to be on this team. Well, the whole bunch of kids that didn't try out were on the team. Oh, there was the mystery tryout days. Oh, okay. Once again, not the best players, but the players where mom and dad had a lot of coin and were clearly trying to set their kid up to where they, they would go to a college and play college ball and stuff like that. So... Yeah, we wrote all these checks, and, and, and it was expensive. And for us, we're not exactly rolling in coin. So when it became clear that Marquid was not playing as promised, as the, le- the Legion had promised us our kid would play to get us to write the checks, and I said, what's up with us not playing? And this is, this is their little caveat. This is their – they try to – they kind of try to do this thing. Well, if you complain about playing time – then you're not going to be on the team. Well, I didn't complain about playing time. I complained about your own standard, which is in your guidelines, which you said to get us to write these checks that the kid would be playing. And by the way, my kid was a pretty good player, actually was a really good player. I'll get back to that in a second. But because he wasn't one of the chosen players, it was kind of one of those situations where they were put to the side. I say this because I've talked to numerous people. You say to yourself, Matt, that sounds like a personal bitter thing. No, this is kind of everywhere now. It's in basketball. It's on hockey. It's in baseball. It's in soccer. This is what it is. 
that there is a, a certain core group of kids who have been molded since they were eight, nine, 10 years old, that those were the kids that were going to get the opportunity. Generally, the kids of the wealthiest people on the program or the kids who are the parent who is a volunteer and is there all the time. Those are the only kids that have a chance. And if your kid's not one of them, well, you'll be lucky if you do get playing time and you get this. Or you're, you're lucky if your coach doesn't get chewed out because you're not playing my little Billy and my little Susie the way I want you to play my little Billy and Susie, even though they're successful. Because once again, for these parents, it's not about the success of the program at all. It's about their, they will drive that program into the ground as long as the only kid in that program that gets any attention is their kid. And that's what you're seeing in all these things. And it's really hard. And so here we are, we're not exactly rolling in cash, but you want, you want people to participate. You want people to there. So you say, well, you're going to get, you're going to get playing time. So you sign in and then all of a sudden there's a bunch of players that weren't even at tryouts who are getting all the playing time and your kid doesn't get any. And you ask the question and guess what happened? My son went out there his second year. He was available for Hopkins Legion, went and tried out and they decided to make an example out of him and he didn't put him on the team, even though he clearly as multiple kids who were at the tryout said, he clearly was one of the kids that was supposed to be on the team. Not because I had complained and bitched and moaned. I just asked the question about, well, wait a second here. Um, why aren't you playing them as you promised us you were going to play them? Why aren't you holding up to your standard? I know why you're not, because you still need people to write the four-figure four checks. That's why you need them. But you didn't. And, of course, they proudly at the Legion during this things. There's a kid. We all know whose kid it is. He's not on this team because mom and dad got a little lippy. Yeah. All right. Fine. So my son decided he was going to try out again and he tried it again and they didn't do it on there as grown adults chuckled. And then I want to take a quick second side note here because I'm going to make this personal. Hey, you morons that were there. Uh, I want to make sure you understand something. I get it. You think that you actually hurt us, my wife and I, by not putting this kid on the team because we dared to ask why you didn't hold your standards. Um, you didn't hurt us at all. <laughs> I didn't have to write a four-figure check. I didn't have to go hat in hand to my family, extended family, and ask them to write a check for you guys. I didn't have to basically go spend my entire summer, lose my entire summer playing baseball games all over the freaking state. I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to I didn't have to watch as the demand from my kid to clean up after the other kids, the other privileged kids in the dugout because they that was picking up their own, you know, crud was beneath them. You didn't hurt us at all. No, what you did is you hurt a kid. You did. Proud moment too. Grown adults who went out of their way and hurt a child of a sport that they're supposed to be trying to encourage. They did it with a smile on their face. They hurt the kid. Grown adults hurt the kid and then high-fived and felt good about it afterwards. That's on you guys, dude. But if you think that my wife and I were upset that we didn't have to spend the money and have to run around all over the place, you're, you're crazy. And I did have a bit of validation with my son uh, when it came to, to baseball because... 
his final year, he played in just a, a fun rec league. And he went out there and he just smashed the ball all over the place. And at the banquet at the end of this, this is in 2019, right before COVID hit. And he, we went to the fall banquet and the coach pulled us aside and he sat down and talked with every parent and every kid. And he said, you know, Charlie, um, your exit velocity off your bat is major league level already. And he said, what? He said, we didn't think it was right the first time. So we tested you a whole bunch of times. Your exit velocity when you hit a ball is insane. He goes, I'll get you a starting, I'll, be a, I'll make you a starter at Division II college baseball. And the, my son looked at him and said, I got accepted to the School of Science and Engineering at the University of Minnesota. And the coach got this big smile on his face. He said, son, you go to the University of Minnesota. You have a good time. Coach stood up, shook my hand. He said, you've raised a great kid there. And I did. He's, my son is, is a pretty good kid. All my kids are, are very good. And they all managed to get through this because all of them managed to see the joke that this really was, that there wasn't any joy or fun of competitive sports anymore. It was about not winning championships or putting together a quality team. It was about basically a handful of parents making sure their kids were in the front row when the scouts were there at the expense of everyone else. And the coaches, they get chewed out. The better players, they get pushed aside. Because it's never about the, the, the winning. It's about basically their own individual selfishness. And by the way, the second time that, that the, the Legion program skipped my son, every kid he knew came up to him afterwards and said, they robbed you. They absolutely robbed you. So you did unify the kids one way but not the way I think you thought you were going to. I say all this to you because I want you to understand that unless you're the parent with a lot of money or you're the parent who's volunteering 60 hours a week for the organization, that it's very frustrating to be part of competitive sports nowadays because there is always going to be a a person telling you, well, uh, you know, you, you know, I got these kids over here. These are the these are going to be the starters, not because they're generally the better players, but because they're the, the players who basically through their own parents have a better marketing program, for lack of a better way to say it. And at the same time, I also want to say this, which is really the crime, is that the whole point of sports scholarships is to give kids who can't afford college an opportunity, a window to get into college. And that whole system has been so perversely broken that it, it's, it's, I don't know how you fix it, but I would say the vast majority, I'll put football aside because football has got, it's such a large team sport. It's there. But I would say on most of these sports that unless you've got a lot of money putting you forward to so where you can get the, the front row seat, these scholarships don't go to, to the needy kids anymore. They haven't for years. And I don't know, maybe eventually what we're going to see is sports evolve into something else where it's all these club teams and that's what it ends up becoming. Because this is not, this story of this coach basically being pushed out by the parents is not the first one, it's not going to be the last one, and it's a, it's a real shame because what used to be fun isn't fun anymore because a handful of parents have distorted and bastardized the whole damn thing. It's a fact.
952-946-6205. Let's take a break. Come on back. I got some Stevie Wonder for us this week. It is the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. I can't tell you how proud of my kids I am because they kept things in perspective. And they kept things in perspective. And particularly, like I said with my son, you know, the fact is that he... He, he did not want to be one of those kids who basically keeps trying long past when they should be done. He walked away. He played his sport. He saw it there. And I think it was because he saw the ugliness of it. He saw the unfairness of it. That he just didn't want to be part of it anymore. There is a lot of kids. As we, we talked last week about the, uh, the, the obesity rates and how they're climbing in this country. There's a lot of kids that go on out there that can't even get a chance to play. Because not, not just because it costs so much to do so, but they get pushed aside because they, 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 some parents don't want their kids to be seen because they got a scholarship on the line. And how's my little Billy going to learn how to be a leader if I don't have the scholarship? I, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. You know. Maybe teach them to be a leader. I don't know. Military was pretty good. You know, I, there are a lot of different options. I just I, I think that it's, it is you need to keep this in perspective. That if you go on out there, that they are always going to tell you, oh, you're going to get playing time. You're always going to get this. We just need you to write a $1,200 check. Don't be surprised that when you, that it does happen, that all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, all these other kids are going to play. Your kid's going to ride the bench. But they can pick up all the cups after your, the game, okay? That's the consolation prize. And it's not much of a consolation prize. So 952 9466205 9526 6205 uh, Stevie Wonder. Uh, yeah, I, 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 some people's like, okay, where, where is the soul in the funk from the 1970s? Well, I'm going to deliver it for you today. There you go. Dancing into the weekend. Native Roots Radio is up next. Have a good one. We are back on a Monday. Till then, see ya. Your people